Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, the radio chick, Annie Ubellis. Join Annie on Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with an open chat room full of her regulars. And yes, you can even call in. Call 917-889-3675. That's 917-889-3675 to be a part of the action on the phone line. Not able to listen live? Not a problem. You can always catch Annie, the radio chick, and Southern Sense Talk Radio podcast in archives at southern-sense.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Southern Sense the right way. Good afternoon. Welcome to another adventure here on Southern Sense, live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Facebook. Oh, the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your host, just with the most, just the radio chick, Annie, along with my co-host, courageous and colorful, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. How are you? I am doing just great. I'm enjoying listening to the um, Democrats, you know, walk back this um, blue wave um, declaration that they made a couple of months ago. Here in Florida, I think they started early voting yesterday, so we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, early voting is on in a lot of different states and territories uh, throughout the United States. Matter of fact, my husband and I are going to do some early voting tomorrow here in the state of South Carolina. Speaking of which, one of our guests today is a friend of mine. He's the South Carolina GOP chair, Drew McKissick. He'll be joining us on the second half of the show. First half, we're going to have former Lieutenant Governor uh, Jennifer Carroll from Florida. She'll be joining us the first half. And if people see me waving my hands around, you'll notice one hand has got a couple of bandages on it. Uh, Dummy me was trying to do some cleaning, and I was trying to clean up some mold and mildew, and didn't use rubber gloves. Folks, if you're going to use caustic chemicals, use gloves so you're not having burnt hands. Um, My mom kind of quipped at me and asked me if I was trying to burn my fingerprints off. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little little, uh, bloodied and bruised today. Anyway, uh, we're going to have a great show lined up and a lot of excitement to go talk about. A lot going on. We've got the caravan. We've got the voting out there. We've got Democrats in meltdown. Uh, we have another Democrat, uh, Democrat Republican uh, who had their headquarters, uh, Kevin McCarthy out of Florida, had his headquarters vandalized, items stolen out of it. You had another Republican headquarters uh, vandalized, I believe, in Wyoming. Uh, they're going nuts, and they're coming after us. So, folks... Be careful out there. You know, it ain't over yet. We've got ourselves two more weeks before the election, 14 more days until D-Day. And wow. Oh, wow. Anyway. Anyway, that said, I want to remind everyone uh, that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to police officer Virgilio Santander Jr. of the Dallas Police Department, Texas. His end of watch was Wednesday, April 25th of this year. And this is coming from 
The Dallas News, written by Ashley Landis, and it reads, Officer Rogelio Santander was a man with many nicknames. To those who knew his father, also named Rogelio, he was Junior. To his girlfriend, he was Roy. And to his colleagues, he was Santander. Dallas police said he's got another name now, Hero. The 27-year-old officer died after a man he was trying to arrest pulled a gun and opened fire on him, his partner, and a loss prevention officer at Home Depot. Hundreds of mourners gathered to remember the man who called his mom every day, who loved soccer so much he trained his dogs to kick around a ball, who pushed his girlfriend to learn how to drive and enroll in college for a better future, and who didn't hesitate to take on extra tasks to to help his fellow officers. A man like you was rare, his girlfriend Jennifer Rivera said at Santander's funeral service at Lake Point Church in Rockwell. The service began with a slideshow of milestones in Santander's life, baby pictures with relatives, his senior portrait from Skyline High, a graduation photo from Texas A&M Commerce, snapshots from the Dallas Police Academy, and images from his three years as a Dallas officer. One of the photos showed Santander grinning, as usual, in his squad car and holding up a handwritten sign that said, Hey you, smile. Santander decided in elementary school that he wanted to become a Dallas police officer. He joined the Dallas police force in 2014 and landed the coveted chance to patrol northeast Dallas with his academy classmate and best friend, Alameda. Alameda and Home Depot loss prevention employee Scott Painter were critically wounded in the shooting. They could not attend Santander's funeral because they were still in the hospital. Santander was the ninth officer to be killed in the line of duty in North Texas in about two years. Over the past week, his colleagues had shared plenty about who Santander was as an officer. But on on Tuesday, mourners got to hear from those who knew him best. He was a great example for all kids to follow, said his family friend and soccer coach, Oscar Romero. Rivera said she still remembers the day she met Santander, February 4th, 2016. The single mother was working at Subway, ready to go home, when Santander and his partner walked in for a meal. You did not notice, but when I gave you that receipt slip to sign, I kept looking at that bright and amazing smile you had on your face, Rivera called in her eulogy. Before leaving the sandwich shop that day, Santander walked over to Rivera to introduce himself and asked politely if he could give her his number. When she said yes, he wrote it on a subway napkin that she's kept as a memento of their relationship. The two officially became boyfriend and girlfriend within just days of talking. You made me nervous, she said. You smiled that gorgeous smile you always had. And when I went to charge you for your sandwich, I charged too much. Within days, they were dating. Within months, they were exploring tuition options for her to return to school, going to a casino to make up the extra cash. One of her daughter's first words was to call Santander, Papa. A man like you was hard to find, Rivera said. You became a father for Scarlett, her daughter, and you always pushed me to be the best version of myself that I could be. Rogelio? I know you're listening, she said, fighting back tears. I couldn't have done it without you. 
I want you to see how proud we'll make you. At the gravesite in the Garden of Honor at Wrestling Memorial Park, law enforcement from Dallas and from around the state stood shoulder to shoulder in lines several officers deep. The gravesite service was held beside the plots of Dallas officers gunned down in the July 7th ambush and ended with an officer's voice on his radio played over a speaker. Police Officer Rogelio Santana, 10934 of service. End of watch. April 25, 2018. Godspeed, Rogelio. Officers collectively exhaled, turning to each other to share hugs and pats on the back. Santander's parents clutched folded flags to their chests as they walked to their son's grave. His father prayed over the navy blue casket, touching his forehead to it before he and his wife walked away in tears. Dallas police officers who spoke at the funeral thanked Santander's family for sharing him with the police force and vowed to look after them in his absence. Goodbye, brother. We'll take it from here said Officer Dun Nagayan, who used to work off-duty jobs with Santander. Senior Corporal Haiti Durin Bowen, who translated parts of the funeral service to Spanish for Santander's family, asked all of the law enforcement officers in the crowd to stand during her own speech. This is how we honor a hero, she told the family in Spanish. This is your new family. Today's show is dedicated to police officer Virgilio Santander, Jr. It is also dedicated to all the other first responders out there, be they correction officers, law enforcement officers, firefighters, emergency services. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this great nation through today and into its future. We dedicate this show with this song, Amazing Grace. May God bless each and every one of them.
And we're back. You're here listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Facebook, YouTube, all the heck with it. You know what I'm going to say. I'm going to tell you to go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. And Curtis, is that our guest there in on the line? I hope so. Uh, if that's Jennifer Carroll, let's bring her aboard. And good afternoon. Is this Jennifer? It is. Good afternoon to you. How are you doing? Oh, I'm Can doing you hear me? fine. Yeah, I got you loud and clear. That's why the fact I burnt the heck out of my hand trying to clean my house the other day. So, oh, no. <laughs> are you okay? She asked me. Well, I kind of like got chemical burns, so people looking in on YouTube, they'll see some band-aids on my hands, uh, on the pads of my fingers. So she asked me if I was trying to erase my fingerprints. <laughs> we have to get OSHA to come to your house now. <laughs> Folks, hey, you're going to use caustic chemicals. Hi, baby. Just make sure you wear gloves. <laughs> Got to be careful. <laughs> yeah, dummy me, doy. <laughs> anyway, you know, there's so much going on. I don't even know where to start with you, uh, with what's going on. I mean, it's crazy season out there, Jennifer. I mean, it's not just it's a not, full it's moon. It's not a season. It, it seems as... It seems as if it's a crazy couple of years because the the news and the excitement of of data that's being processed on a daily basis is never ending. And people don't have a chance to recoup from day to day because there's always something that's fanatical going on and or a frenzy that's going on that uh, I think now we're living in a state, it seems as if it's chaotic every day, which is not healthy either. No, it's it's, it's like sensory overload. You're getting it on 24-hour uh-huh. news. You're getting it on social networks. Uh, it, it is nonstop. And the uh-huh. best thing I can tell people is turn it off. Start to turn it off. Well, exactly. But, well, that's the, that's the, um, that's, that is the, the sensory that people are not recognizing right now because they're getting caught up in all the social media, in the hype, in the chaos, that, they, that they're assuming it's normal rather than knowing that they have control to turn things off. And I've, I've turned things off. I've turned off the radio. I'm, I'm tired of hearing of the, the talking heads. I don't care what side because both whether they are Democrat or Republican, have taken their sides and nobody is coming to the center in any agreement or whatsoever. And they can't even have a dialogue to, to converse as to what your differing views and opinions may be and have any one side be receptive of what you're saying. And that, for our kids to see adults acting in this way, is not showing them a proper role model as to how they should comport themselves when they get to be adults. So if the adults are screaming and yelling at each other, the kids are going to do that, and they're going to assume that this is normal behavior. And that's going to be a society that's going to always stay in a matter of chaos until sent to the room to say this is not how to behave. That Amen to that. You know, we, we had um, 
uh, Kevin McCarthy's headquarters in California was broken into and vandalized. Uh, you had a Fox News building down in Dallas that was broken into, and they ended up shooting the guy in the uh, lobby before he can gain access to the rest of the building. You had the uh, GOP headquarters in Wyoming uh, firebombed and vandalized. You know, you're, you're seeing it left and right. Uh, uh, Mitch mm-hmm. McConnell, who I'm not a huge fan of. I don't always agree with everyone. I think he's too much of a rhino. But he and his wife are eating dinner, and this guy comes into the mm-hmm. restaurant, starts banging on the table, takes his food, takes Mitch McConnell's and his wife's food, throws it out the door. Thank God mm-hmm. that the patrons and the staff of that restaurant stood up to this bully. And, mm-hmm. you see it. and that's what needs to occur. More people need to be both upset and offended by these sort of behaviors and tactics. And once we don't have uh, adults stepping up to say, regardless of what side you're on, stepping up to say that this is not the right way to behave, then it's going to continue, unfortunately. And if any one of these individuals, whether it's Sarah Sanders or Mitch McConnell, any one of these people look to defend themselves and or their family, that they may feel threatened by any of these people approaching them, because you don't know how how stable or, or not somebody may be. So if you are out to dinner with your family and someone approaches you in that hostile manner, as a man or even as a woman, you're going to be on guard to protect your, your kids, your family, your family members, your loved ones. So if you look to defend yourself, you become the story and not the person who attacked you or not the person who started the situation. And that's wrong. So that's why every one of us ought to step up and, and condemn these behaviors. The, the Democrat Party ought to condemn these behaviors and say, this is not how we want our members to act. You know, you're not part of our party if you're going to comport yourself this way. And if the Republicans do it, the Republican leadership needs to condemn it as well. Yeah, that's so true. That they do. Um, just think about it. Um, somebody like John Lennon just returning from a recording session, you know, he gets shot to death. And Versace mm-hmm. was just returning mm-hmm. from um, having morning coffee down in Miami. He got shot to death. You never mm-hmm. know what the mentality and emotional mm-hmm. stability of these people are. Mm-hmm. And all people need to do that want to already excite a bad behavior, all they need is a little spark. So if no one speaks up and speaks out against these behaviors, they will assume that it's normal and okay for them to do that. And once the, the, the media puts it on there and say, oh, look at how many hits this person gets for approaching these people, and no one speaks against it, then that becomes normal behavior. And that's not this America that my parents migrated to. That's not this America that people are dying and and coming in here illegally to to, uh, take advantage of the opportunities that we have in this country. That's not the America that we should want. And we should not have the abuse of our country being put into shambles like this. Because if we become no, the laughingstock of the rest of the of the of the world, <laughs> that's that's unfortunate. Because they're looking at us and they see this lawlessness, and you don't see arrests mm-hmm. being made. That's the amazing mm-hmm. thing. You have these these crowds going out and harassing people, but you don't see any arrest. You're disturbing the peace. Something. Just mm-hmm. do something. Well, also too, you're infringing on someone else's rights. You're infringing on someone else's right and in their space. So why is it okay for you to 
infringe upon someone else's rights, but you don't want that happening to you. But if they are arrested, then it's in quiet. No one hears about it or the, the prosecution that may come up of it. It's like a slap on the hand or if they, they are incarcerated or have to pay a fine, no one hears about that. So they see the hype and people assume that nothing is happening to any of these people and so folks think that they can get away with it. Back in the day when you when you did something wrong that went against the mores and the morals of, of a society, you had public flogging. So people knew that this was not acceptable and no one wanted to be shamed like that. So they comported themselves according to the mores and morals of the society. We don't have those measures anymore. We don't have the public flogging. We don't have the, the, the public uh, adults stepping up on either side to say that this is wrong, this is not the behavior we ought to be um, saying that it's normal, and we ought to have a better lead for our children. And when I see elected officials are going off the rail and, and, and not not treating people with respect and, and lying on people and, and fabricating stuff just so that they can maintain their power and position, and that becomes okay without them being called out about it and, and being held to task, like losing their seat and being asked to be asked to be removed from office, then everyone assumes that lying and cheating and stealing and cussing and fighting is what's acceptable. And if just a few do it and everybody else thinks that um, that because the left is doing it, we can get away with it, and because the left uh, is, is uh, capitalizing on this and no, not, no prosecution is going to come to them, that it's okay to do it, then it breaks down all order in society. You know, the, 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 it shows how left the media is, is the fact that they're not even putting this out there, letting people know, hey, maybe your safety might be in jeopardy, you know, or or showing that when someone is arrested, hey, there are consequences for your action. This is how far the left has gone. And um, going through what's going on in Florida, I see that on your ballot there is an amendment number four that's being pushed by George Soros. Are uh, you aware mm-hmm. of this? Yes. Well, there are a number what of amendments on our ballot. What's that? I said talk about dirty tricks. Well, and that's what has been a, a normal in the state of Florida. At one time when I was in the legislature, we increased the uh, legis- uh, an amendment could be passed on a ballot to 60%, making the threshold a little bit higher because we had one of those constitutions that was the easiest to change by through, through, through ballot initiative. And this time around, we have a number of constitutional amendments that do not belong in the, in the, in the, in the Constitution that if there is a discussion should be with the legislative body so that everyone, all citizens, can see in the sunshine what's going on. They can participate in the committee meetings. They can input to make amendments to a bill or try to um, petition to, to have a bill squashed. But when a, ball- a ballot initiative is passed, it comes as the final law in the Constitution and and then beyond that, to get rid of it, has to be another ballot initiative to get it off, and it will have to be passed by the same level of threshold. So that's why I caution everyone in the state of Florida to read these ballot initiatives and make sure they fully understand what it means. It may sound good, but when you read the rest of it, it doesn't. it's not very good. For example, I am a part of a, a commission 
to oppose the, Constitu- the Constitutional Revision Commission amendments, amendments 6 through 13, where they have bundled issues together because they failed to get the special interests failed to get their items passed through the legislative body because they know it wasn't right for the people. So they put touchy-feely things of other initiatives that could be passed through legislative uh, um, measures into this ballot initiative, making people think it sounds good. For example, wouldn't you want in the state of Florida to have a Department of Veterans Affairs that says that that's a department? Well, by, by the way, we already have a Department of Veterans Affairs. Since when do we put um, cabinet positions and or departments in the Constitution? It is what it is. We have a Department of Transportation. Is anybody offering to put that in the Constitution? No, but they put that into a ballot initiative that has something, have a bad ballot initiative. So it sounds good on this end, but on the other end, when you read through it, it's something that's not good for the state of Florida and for its citizens. So almost every ballot initiative that's on the Constitution uh, on, in this election should be sent back to the legislative body so that everyone in the state of Florida who wants to be engaged in what these measures will do, the policies that will, it will bring about, that they have a say-so through their legislative process. And the other thing, too, it makes it a whole lot easier if we have a bill or statute that is um, passed into law, it could be easy, it's easier to get it removed through the legislative process than if it was in the, in the, in the Constitution. Well, not only that, they, these guys are putting they're putting um, things in the amendments that are opposite to each other, or they have nothing to do with each other. Oh no, really they're not confusing. germane. They don't have any single subject matter, and and right. not surprisingly, that the courts let this go through. But I don't believe that, um, and, and it's confusing to citizens. But at least in the legislative process. The subject matter must be germane. It must be related to, if you're dealing with education, you cannot put in transportation into a bill. It has to be germane. It has to be related to that subject matter, through the statute that's, that, that relates to that subject matter. In a constitution, these guys are getting away with such things because the court has said, okay, you know, we'll let, it, let the process go where it can. Well, and there's no smart. real written that that's the way that it should be in the Constitutional Amendment anyhow. But it's not, it's not clear. It is very cloudy. These initiatives are not related to each other. But the reason that it was put into those ballot initiatives is to give the touchy-feely, make people think it's going to do one thing when it's actually designed to do something else. For example, we got pregnant pigs in the Constitution. We were the laughing stock when, when we had a Constitutional Amendment that, that – came on a ballot that passed for pregnant pigs to be housed in a certain area. Why would that be in our Constitution? If that was an issue with animal rights, then it it should have gone through the legislative process. And now we can't get it off because it's on there. It's going to take 60% threshold. (laughs) Pregnant pigs. I love it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, geez. Now now you wonder why we call Florida Southern New York. Right. <laughs> we got universal pre-K. I mean, that universal pre-K and costing citizens a lot of money. That was another thing that we couldn't get off. It was done without any study to to say because we we also had the um the, the federal child care not child care the pre the preschool pre pre universal pre-K that was already there. But these people that were doing Head Start, I think it was called Head Start. 
they were doing it without having trained educators in these in these programs. So instead of trying to 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 bring in a, a, a situation and, and make it worse, why not fix the problem that you say you have? For example, immigration. For years, they've been talking about our immigration system is broken, but nobody really talked about what's broken with it and try to fix that. They wanted to dismantle everything in immigration. There's some components are good and some are bad. So in the, the, pro, the problem that we have with our elected officials is that instead of looking to fix the problem that exists, they created bigger problems so that you're dependent upon them to always fix the problems that they create. Yeah, it's 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 amazing because they always choose a midterm election, a low voter turnout election. So that mm-hmm. way they can get mm-hmm. their base out there that's dedicated to this issue out there to make sure the votes are in that they need. Rather than waiting for mm-hmm. a general election in which to do this where educated, knowledgeable voters are mm-hmm. more likely to show up. Mm-hmm. So I say I, to I voters my, my advice. State. Yeah. My advice to voters if you don't do your homework prior to going into that voting booth, don't vote for the amendments at all. Just don't even vote for them because you, you, you'll be doing the wrong thing in voting either yes or no, depending on how the, how the ballot language is. So the best, the, 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 if you want an, an absentee ballot, so at least you can get a sample ballot or call your supervisor of elections office to get a sample ballot. They will mail it out to you. You can study it, read it over make your mark, and you can take that sample ballot with you to your voting precinct. So it is an open book test, so you don't have to worry about, did I remember something that I left back at home? The, the thing is that no <laughs> one should be helping you to fill out your ballot. You need to do this on your own. This is your constitutional right to, to have, have the civic right to be able to go and vote your government that you want. So therefore, it's incumbent upon you to make those choices that it's an educated choice based on the information and the facts that you know. You know, it's, it's funny because people Lieutenant can go Governor. online and, and download the absentee ballot themselves. You know, I was taking yes. my mom on some errands yesterday, and she's, she lives in the Virgin Islands. So I said, Mom, are you re- registered to vote? She goes, yes. I says, do you want me to help you get an absentee ballot? She goes, oh, I didn't know I could do that. And uh-huh. there's a huge head slap. You know, Mom, uh-huh. you're 86 yeah. years yeah. old, and you don't realize that all these uh, years you could have had an absentee ballot when you weren't at home. So I actually downloaded it. See, that's the assumption that people make. That's the assumption people make that everybody knows what to do, and everybody may not know what to do. For example, when I was in, I'm a 100% voter. Ever since I received my naturalization, I have voted in every election from then on. From the time I was 18, I'm 59 now. I voted in every election, whether it's a special election, an off-year election, a, a general election, a primary. I voted in every election. When I was in the military overseas, I requested my absentee ballot. But back then in the 70s, 80s, you had to have a reason. You had to give the division of uh, the supervisor of elections a reason that's justifiable by them that you needed an absentee ballot. Nowadays, it's so easy to get the absentee ballot. You can download it. You go to the supervisor of elections. You can call them and get the ballot early. There's early voting going on right now. Again, I would recommend people don't rush to early vote. Get a sample ballot. Read it over. Look it over. Make your markings. Take your ballot with you to the ballot uh, to the to the election to where you, your precinct is. And this way you have the information in hand. You're not guessing what you did back at home. 
Lieutenant Governor, do yes, you sir. think there should be consequences for people that bear false witness against others, say oh, like absolutely. in the Kavanaugh? Absolutely. I was Kavanaugh in, in, in Florida. Look what uh, under Rick Scott and his team did to me and the lies that they put out there that created the situation where I was asked to leave office. So people that bear false witness, most definitely. And the sad thing about it is that in government, when you have elected office, the threshold is, is so high that you have to prove that the person met, had malicious intent and they purposely did this to get back oh, at yeah. you. So no therefore, really. you have to have so much money to go out and get, um, you know, expert witnesses or get a, a, a PI, a private investigator to do this. And, and so it's, it's, it's cost prohibitive for individuals to go. There have been very few that have been successful, but most of the time it just ruins a person's career, ruins a person's um, um, reputation, and that person just gives up. And it's really sad that the, the folks in government that know that they can run this game have done it so many times and have gotten away with it that it has become the norm. And, again, because citizens aren't stepping up and really uh, going back to our first conversation about the behaviors that we're seeing out there that's not normal for our society, this behavior is not normal either. How can you bear false witness and lie on somebody ruin their character and integrity, and don't even have a blink of an eye as to what it's also doing to their family. You may want to get that person away because you see them as a threat to your position and power and money, and that's what it boils down to in politics. If you stand in the way of an individual thinking that either he can't get or she can't get access to the highest office and you're blocking that, or they, their lobbyists or whatever can't get through to you because you're not going to play their dirty games, and or they see that if you get in office, they're not going to have access. These are things that run true blue to their soul of the political gamesmanship. And so when you are in that position where they feel that they, their power or money or position is going to get interfered with, they will take you out and think nothing of it. But it's just not you, as I mentioned. It's your kids, it's your family, it's your mothers, your fathers, your grandparents that's hearing these things, knowing it's not right, knowing it's not truth about you, and there's not yeah. much you can do about it. And when Kavanaugh sat there, I cried for him. I, I felt his pain because I was there. And I know that this man, they want to say, oh, he was acting, uh, he, he was just too rude to the members of the Senate. But when your character is impugned like this and lied on, and, and you had to sit there and, and, and take it, this man said, I'm not going to do this. I, I, this is my last show, and I'm going to make sure that the public knows this is not the type of person I am, and I did not do this. And I applaud him for that. And I they also, you know who I applaud okay. the most? I applaud the president the most for standing by this good man yeah. and standing by his nominee and not buckling under the, the, the political yeah. pressure, the pressure. To, to, for him to withdraw this nominee. And that's what leadership is all about. When you have somebody that is a good person that you know is being railroaded and, and, and the leadership sees this happening and would not back down to the political pressures to, to withdraw the nominee and you stand by him, that shows that Donald Trump is a principal man. And I did not have that type of support when the gauntlet mm-hmm. came after me to get me out of office. They did it with Clarence Thomas, and they did it with Herman Cain. And just think about it, the women that came after her.
Herman Cain, they disappeared after they were successful at getting him to um, back away. Yeah, and if it bothered you so much, like um, Herman Cain and others, if it bothered you so much at the time that you you bought it out, wouldn't you think that they will carry through on their on their on their complaint? That's Why right. would you disappear they, after the fact? After you've accomplished whatever somebody has paid you off to do to get right, this man out of the race, and I wouldn't even put it past by his own people, his own party folks that that did that, and and True. particularly for the time that I've spent in office. Seeing that these sort of shenanigans happen on both sides, so neither side can claim that the other side is worse than the other because I've seen it, both sides doing it, and it's not right. If they have any any inch of God in their heart, they should not be able to look in the mirror on a daily basis and feel good about themselves. There should be consequences. Absolutely. I totally agree. But it's been nice being with you guys. I have to run. I appreciate you having me on the air. To your listeners out there, I want to say that we have an important election coming up. Every election, it seems like it's important. But to do your homework and do your studies with regards to the individuals. I am also not liking that I'm hearing on these commercials on both sides lies about the candidates. You know, if you're going to say a person didn't do something, back it up with facts. Don't throw something out there and the person didn't do it because they didn't have the, the legislative authority to do it or they didn't have vision uh, enabled to do it. So don't make the voters think that this person didn't do X because they chose not to do X. You need to be truthful about it. And I, if I had the money, I would do, I would run several commercials against almost every candidate that's running TV shots and tell the truth about it and tell voters, listen through the lines. This is what they're not saying. They're telling you this to make you think this, but the opposite is what's really happening. And, you know, there might have been something in that bill that they voted against that had nothing to do with the main bill. That has nothing to do with it. And I have voted against bills that if you inject an amendment into a bill that makes it bad for your constituents, you can do nothing but vote against that bill because a bad bill is still a bad bill. I don't care how they fluff it up, just like some of these amendments. If the amendment has something bad in it, I don't care how you fluff it up with good stuff, it's still going to be a bad, a bad amendment. My husband has this term that he says, a dirty, wa- dirty water, no matter how much clean water you put into it, it's still going to be dirty. And that's how some of these <laughs> amendments and these, and these politicians are. It's still going to be dirty. So, so I thank you so much, and we'll see how things pan out, and hopefully voters will go to the voting booth at, with an intelligent mind, and if they're unclear about killer measure whatsoever, or that person, yeah. if they're unclear about the person, they don't have to vote for that person. That's true. Well, so and that's, far, and, they don't, Jennifer... and, and when, whenever they vote, people don't have to know who they voted for either. Uh, Jennifer, people can find you at your website, which is your name, Jennifer Carroll, double L at the end, jennifercarroll.com, correct? That's correct. Jennifer Carroll, C-A-R-R-O-L-L dot com. Look forward to hearing from them. Uh, <laughs> God bless, Jennifer, all the hard God work bless you do. You. Thank you. Thank Take you. Take care, Lieutenant Jennifer Carroll, check her out at jennifercarroll.com. She's also uh, one of the founders of Maggie's List that supports conservative um, conservative women running for office. Wow. All right. Um, 
this that was a lot. Geez, I don't even know where to. Start. <laughs> there's, there's so much to start talking about. Uh, and, you know, we've got that caravan heading towards the um, United the States. southern border. Oh my goodness, what a what a mess that is. Oh jeez, and it it started off like there was like um something like 1,200 people in the original caravan, swelled to 2,000, then 4,000, then 7,000. Now they're estimating there's somewhere between 10 to 14,000 in the caravan, and it's swelling even bigger and bigger. When it comes to our border, oh, my goodness, what a mess that is going to be. they got 1,400 miles in which to uh, continue to walk, so we'll see how many people last that long, the whole long trek. <laughs> well, you know, um, Rush was saying on an interview with Hannity um, that, look, you know, they got anywhere from seven to 17,000 in this caravan. But if you look at the, the crowds that Trump, um, you know, um, bring out when he speaks, there's like 70, 80, 90, 100,000 people. We just send half of them to the border. That would be enough to block these people. Just Trump supporters. <laughs> <laughs> the clash of the titans clash of the titans oh, yeah. but you know it, it it was you see it's highly organized it is extremely oh, yeah. highly organized and uh i think it was guatemala or honduras that temporarily uh held in custody the main politician that was behind it but if you look at these crowds 95% of them are young men young men between the ages of 16 and 35. They're well-dressed. None of them look like they're wanting for food or anything like that. They, they take the children and they put them in front of the cameras. They make sure there's always children in front of the cameras at all times to give the, the perception that these are families trying to find yeah. their way to the United States. But it's, it's not. And that is that is not the God's given truth. But you also see the organizers walk, walking around in these neon green vests. And they're always at the front leading them where they walk 10 abreast. And at that very front line, there's always a child. I mean, this should be child abuse. Really should be considered child abuse to make these children walk this whole long distance. And they were Well, they don't have that down there. <laughs> They probably don't they, have such were, an agency. Well, they were offered vans. They were offered buses. They were offered trains in which to transport these people. And they said, no, we're going to walk. We want it for the graphics. We want the cameras out there. And, oh, the sore feet, people walking barefoot. I'm, I'm looking at some of these people walking. Their sneakers are, are worth more than the ones I own, for sure. Well, actually, Andy, so, um, they, they claim the who want to be up this way by election day, and we're talking a thousand miles, there's no way they can walk. It's just not physically possible for them to walk that distance um, in less than a week and a half. So um, they're getting they get, they're getting busted part of the way. You know, this this is not like you say. It's not grassroots. This has been planned and organized, and you know. Something like this just don't happen conveniently around election time without somebody stirring the pot. There is. The American Democratic Party, in cahoots with those socialists down there, have put this all together. Now what's happening is 
our grassroots, the conservative, the silent majority here in the United States is seeing this invasion. And that's exactly what it is. It's an invading army. So what? They may not be carrying guns. But did you see what they did to the fence that the Mexican government tried to put up? They walked right on through it. The Mexican government stood their ground for not even 24 hours. And then they capitulated. And they are escorting these people through Mexico. They're giving them stopovers in towns where they can rest and take 24 hours and rest. Day is a day of rest. Get yourself something to eat. Oh, we'll have medical aid here for you. We'll have hot food for you. No problem. We'll, we'll, we'll cater to you. But 14,000 and growing? No one knows exactly how many. And it's, it's going to break up, and then it's going to coalesce once again. It comes up to the border. So they have little groups here and there, but once they come to the U.S. border, they will en masse all at once and rush the border. And what is going to be the site with the TV cameras showing the military men and women trying to stand their grounds with their guns and tanks and stuff and these helpless, unarmed people? Well, that's this, this what is a um, the left wants. They want those optics before Election Day. And they're... They're not going to win this, this this battle. You know, we see through it. Most Americans see through it. It's just like the um, Kavanaugh, you know, confirmation hearings. We 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 see how how devious and devilish the left, you know, wing can be, and um, we're just not going to stand for it. And I'm not sure what we're going to do with the military, but we do have non-lethal. You know, methods of stopping people. We have, um, like, you know, sound waves we can send out, you know, that will, you know, repel them. And believe you me, <laughs> you will not go any further once you, you hear those um, high-pitched sounds. So that's that's one option the military has. It's got dummy bullets. But we, I don't think you really want to use those with kids and stuff in the mix. Now they have the sandbag, uh, sandbags. Uh, that they use, uh, they shoot the sandbags, hits them in the chest, or something like that. You know, I, I don't know. I, we're going to have to wait and see how this plays out. And the president of Mexico is not being helpful at all. He promised help. But that lasted less than 24 hours. Holy cow. Judicial Watch has a great article in there, uh, today's Judicial Watch. And it's titled, Young Angry Men and Gangbangers March Towards U.S. Yelling, Vamos para a la Trump, which means, we're coming, Trump. It reads this way, besides gang members and mobs of, angry, of young angry men, the Central American caravan making its way to, into the United States also consists of Africans, Bangladeshis, Sri Lankans, and Indians. A matter of fact, um, the news report I saw had it where um, they actually had members of ISIS identified in the group. So you know, we know ISIS is mixed in. ISIS pretends to be Hispanic because it's got similar features. They learn how to speak fluent Spanish. So how would we to know whether or not they're really Spanish or not, Hispanic or not? Well, what ticked I, me off is that you got Fox, Fox News uh, – putting out that, yeah, the president said there are, you know, terrorists and gangbangers mixed in with this crowd, but he hasn't provided any evidence of it. Now, if that was Obama saying the same thing, that these guys were mixed in, they would even go as far as to defend this guy, saying, like, 
Well, the president has more information than we do, so we have to take his word. But because it's Trump, they have to put a caveat in there saying, well, he hasn't provided any evidence, so it just ticks me off. Well, you know, the article it's goes- almost like they're, they're apologists. Yeah. Well, it goes on to read that Judicial Watch is covering the crisis with the Guatemalan-Honduran border this week and observed that the popular mainstream media narrative of desperate migrants, many of them women and children seeking a better life, is hardly accurate. Guatemalan intelligent officials confirmed that the caravan that originated in the northern Honduran city of San Pedro Sula includes a multitude of special interest aliens, SIA, from the countries listed above, as well as other criminal elements and gang members. There are also large groups of men, some with criminal histories, aggressively demanding that the U.S. take them in. During a visit to the Guatemalan town of Ticamula, about 35 miles from the Honduran border, Judicial Watch encountered a rowdy group of about 600 men, ages 17 to about 40, marching north in a narrow two-lane highway. Among them was a 40-year-old Honduran man who previously lived in the United States for decades and got deported. His English was quite good, and he said his kids and girlfriend live in the U.S. Another man in his 30s contradicted media reports that the caravan participants are fleeing violence and fear for their life. Quote, we are not scared, he said, waving his index fingers as others around him nodded in agreement. We're going to the United States to get jobs. Others chanted, vamos para a la Trump. We're coming, Trump, as they clinched their fists in the air. Quote, we need money and food, said a 29-year-old man who made the trek with his 21-year-old brother. All the migrants interviewed by Judicial Watch repeated the same rehearsed line when asked who organized the caravan, insisting that it was a spontaneous event even though there were clearly organizers shouting instructions in Spanish and putting select persons in front of cameras for interviews. A few claimed they heard about it on local news in Honduras. All of them said the caravan is, was not about politics, but rather poverty. I just want to get back into the United States, said a 32-year-old man who admitted that he had been de- deported from the U.S. twice. We were all looking for work. The group radiated a sense of empowerment. One marcher, who appeared to be in his late teens, yelled, go live in Honduras and see what it's like. Honduran President Juan Orlando Hernandez, a conservative, said in a local newspaper report that leftist interests seeking to destabilize the country are manipulating migrants. Women and children are being used without regard to the risks to their lives, Hernandez said. The irregular mobilization was organized for political reasons to negatively affect the governance and image of Honduras and to destabilize the peace of neighboring countries, the president said, adding that many have returned to the country after realizing they had been fooled. Guatemala is overwhelmed with a sudden onslaught and immigration officials confirmed 1,700 migrants have been returned to Honduras on buses. The first wave of migrants totaled about 4,000 according to Guatemalan government sources, followed by a second, less organized group of about 2,000. The impoverished Central American nation needs help, including logistical, communications, and civil affairs support to stop the human caravan. There are only so many resources we can dedicate to this, said Guatemalan Secretary of Strategic Intelligence, 
Mario Duarte. Guatemalans are getting robbed and crimes are being committed by the people in the caravans, Duarte said. This is up on Judicial Watch. This is what's heading to our country, folks. This is heading to our country. And I don't know if we're going to be able to stop them, honestly. And it's all timed just in time for the election. And if you looked at other reports coming in that INS, uh, ICE, and Department of Homeland Security saying that those that are coming over the border that they stop, they're putting on buses and sending to Texas. And lo and behold, what is the Democratic Party doing in Texas? They're waiting for these buses to show up in Texas. And as they get off the bus, they are being held, handed voter registration forms. And guess which box is pre-checked on each and every single application? The box that states that they are an American citizen. No, American citizen. (laughs) The the box that states that they are American citizen is pre-checked. They are given help to fill out these voter registrations to upset the election in Texas to get Vito O'Rourke, the phony Hispanic, to get him elected over Ted Cruz. This is happening, guys. Coming to a well, state you know, near you. This is why the elections are so important. And from what I can gauge by all news accounts, the Republicans are turning out in big numbers so far. So that's a, that's a good thing. It's a good sign. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope so. It's a it's an off-season election. It's a midterm election. Normally, voter turnout is light, but early voting is showing to be pretty heavy. Like I said, my husband and I are going tomorrow to do our voting because I will be down and out with my surgery. So I'm having my surgery on the 1st, so <laughs> I will not be able to see out of one eye for a while until the eye heals. So, hey, we're waiting for Drew McKissick, who should be calling in very shortly. He normally calls in on time. But here's another thing that broke in the news, and no one's really talking about it. I don't know if um, if anyone had seen the report uh, or the um, debate between um, Keith Ellison to... and his challenger. And for, oh, okay. No, Keith Ellison and his challenger for uh, the attorney general seat. Um, up in, um, who is it, uh, Minnesota. No, I didn't he actually it. challenged Keith. I was watching part of it, and he actually opened, openly challenged Keith about the accusations of the sexual assault by two, on two women, his ex-wife and his ex-girlfriend. And there is evidence. There are police reports. There are photos. Evidence of the attacks. And finally, someone had had the guts to actually bring it out in public. But in the meantime, there's a man who stepped forward saying <clears throat> that Corey Booker sexually assaulted him in a bathroom. Oh, yeah. Mr. Anonymous. So we'll see what happens with that one. So. Hey, we're supposed to believe in <laughs> these people. We're supposed to well, believe in them. So we'll see if Corey Booker is <laughs> part of this believed in this guy's accusation because that's sure enough what they were saying uh-huh. on um, the Kavanaugh's confirmation here. We have to believe the accuser, the victim. You know? So we'll see. Mm-hmm. 
we'll see. We'll see what happens. But Keith Ellison, we, we've got to bring that out into the public. We've got to demand an investigation. We have to ask these two women to be willing to come forward and to press charges. That is what has to be done. They have to go to the police and actually press charges. Then we can move forward. We can arrest them, bring them to trial, force them into trial. And uh, Sasquatch in you, the chat room is correct that uh, this caravan that entered Mexico, it's against the law. It's a felony in Mexico to illegally cross the borders. If you and I were to enter Mexico illegally, you're facing a minimum of one year in jail, a minimum. Now, look what happened to that Marine. All he did was do a U-turn, and he ended up behind bars for three years, I believe it was. So I every that. person in that caravan committed a felony under Mexican law. But there's no way that this Mexican government is going to arrest this large caravan. If they wanted and, to, they, yeah, could. Uh, they could put up, like like um, the Mario boat lift. What, what did we do down in Miami? We found a a uh, playground or, or football field or something we did, and we fenced them in. And then we did intake, you know. But they could do the same thing in Mexico. They could well, find a big soccer field because the... they love to play soccer. And, um, <laughs> and uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. isn't that racist? <laughs> isn't that racist? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not PC. <laughs> I'm not PC. <laughs> but they love to play soccer. That's the truth. I've, I've been overseas, over in Europe. Everybody loves football. They call it football. We call it soccer for some reason. And I think it's because we have our own um, form of football. But they love soccer, and they have large soccer fields. They just well, don't have a will. And hopefully Donald well, you Trump know has that... a will to, to keep them out. Well, we'll see what happens. I'm sure that he's he's got his head uh, together with the military, with the immigration, with Homeland Security. I'm sure that there's, there's something they're going to come up with. Because uh, the last thing we want to see is people dying over this. But uh, unless they're an ISIS fighter, then I don't really mind too much. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I mean, when, he, when he said he was going to put the uh, military on uh, the border, I also thought about Kent State. And what happened back then, you know, I think it was seven people shot, um, maybe four of them killed during the um, protests back then, uh, anti-Vietnam War protests. And I could see something like that. Matter of fact, I think the Democrats are hoping something like that happens so they can have a field day and use it to their advantage. Maybe that's where it is, but... uh... I think it's going to backfire big time, and I think they're they're regretting the fact that they put this into motion. First, they do a big oops with Kavanaugh. That back that Kavanaugh effect backfired on them, and now they have this caravan, and I think that's going to backfire on them. And uh, it's, we'll see what happens. Like I said, we're just going to have to wait and see. And just everyone get out there and vote, please vote, vote, vote. Oh, here's here's something else that I was going to talk to Drew McKissick about. Uh, there's a couple of liberal Harvard law professors that are lending their name to a new, new campaign, 
and they're hoping to expand the Supreme Court in 2021 by four justices. And it looks like this is our guest coming in on the line now. Next victim up into the batting box. That's Wilma Board, South Carolina GOP Chair Drew McKissick. How are you doing today, Drew? How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Oh, having just one heck of a good day today. <laughs> Anything that can go wrong <laughs> is going wrong with us. Hello, Drew. Well, well, that, that, that's better than uh, better than a lot of people, and I uh, hope we'll just be that same way in about two weeks. If we do our job and work hard, we'll have the same kind of day two weeks from today. Well, let's hope so, from your lips to God's ears, because we're watching this caravan and wondering <laughs> just what the heck are we going to do. This is This is absolutely nuts. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, I was watching, um, I, I forget what it was, it might have been Fox News or something, where uh, former Speaker Newt Gingrich was on about a week ago, and he made the point that, you know, the two key words in this election were going to be Kavanaugh and Caravan, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. I, think, I know for a fact, you know, from the party end of things, that we saw during the whole recent Kavanaugh mess uh, that, you know, we as a party, uh, picked up something on the order of about 2,600 people who had came in to volunteer on our online volunteer pages uh, for, you know, phone calls, door knocks, yard signs, et cetera, because we were using uh, the issue of the Kavanaugh hearings as essentially, you know, bait, for lack of a better word, to get folks to come in and sign up. Uh, and we were getting those from, you know, ads that we ran on Facebook and so forth. And, uh, you know, that just as soon as all that mess started to go down, uh, volunteering, through those means online just went through the roof. Uh, and I have to feel that, uh, you know, this caravan issue for the next couple of weeks is probably going to be the same thing. Uh, and we'll be, you know, again, taking those same steps in terms of in, in using this issue for those purposes because Democrats have overreached, which they usually do. You got, One thing you can almost always count on them to do is to overreach. And so far, sometimes they become – our best salesman for our message, you know, just in terms of, uh, as, a, as a counterexample, the way things ought to be. Uh, and, you know, they certainly did that in Kavanaugh mess. And uh, I think uh, uh, Senator uh, Lindsey Graham basically uh, enunciated what millions of people were thinking in the course of that hearing. Uh, and it's just lit a fire under our folks. Yeah, you know, I was surprised with Lindsey Graham, you know, how he all of a sudden seemed very, very conservative. And then he came out with the thing about DACA, uh, amnesty for DACA. It's like, oh, old Lindsey's back again. You never know which side of the bed he's going to wake up on. <laughs> well, you know, you have to you, know, you take your victories where you get them. And, uh, you know, I know that certainly for uh, you know, the last uh, couple of weeks in terms of the judicial issues and with, the, with, and with the Kavanaugh hearings, and, and plus the fact that, you know, uh, yeah, Lindsay is going to be the next chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, you know, um, it's you know 99% sure because odds are that we'll maintain a Senate majority. Uh, and you know, current chairman Grassley's moving on to a different committee, and, and that will elevate Lindsay to the chairmanship there. And you know, those Democrats on that committee have, uh, you know, if nothing else, uh, they're on notice now that they've thoroughly ticked off the person who's going to hold the gavel over them next time they're on that committee. You know, the funny thing is, is though I, today's Buford Gazette, my socialist rag came in the in the in today, and front page headline reads, Democrats lead by 13 points. And I look at my husband and go, what poll are they quoting? 
Well, you know, some of those, whoever's running that poll or whoever's weighting that poll and whatever math they're using in a poll like that, I'd say they're probably smoking some stuff that's still illegal in South Carolina. Uh, you know, that's I mean, that's about as far from reality, in my opinion, what I've seen, I think, as we can get. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's going to be a close race, and our job is we have to get our votes out. Uh, we have to do what we've done really well for a long time, and that is identify and turn out other Republicans. We've got a conservative message uh, here in South Carolina. Conservatives outnumber liberals two to one, uh, and it's our conservative message and the hard work that our volunteers have done for the last, you know, 30-plus years that have had us on a winning streak in this state. Uh, and I know nationally, you know, these uh, generic ballot numbers that you see, you, know, you got to look deeper in the weeds when you're looking at stuff like that. For one thing, is that poll and other ones like it, uh, you know, sometimes they'll be registered voters, uh, which are, you know, not the same thing as likely voters. Uh, and even if they are likely voters, which that one may have been, what they aren't showing you, which uh, one poll the other day did, though, I think it might have been the Wall Street Journal poll, was they had a generic ballot question nationwide, but then they reduced the responses down to people who were just in the 60 or so key congressional districts around the country. And when they reduced it down to that group of people in those districts that are going to decide the balance of power in the House of Representatives, the difference was Republicans by plus one. So, you know, when it comes to congressional boundaries, as you well know, it all depends on, you know, or congressional races, it all depends on where you live. Because, you know, we're, districts are so cut up and gerrymandered and so forth. And, uh, you know, so if you've got an outsized number of people from New York City and Los Angeles that are answering that poll in terms of a national poll, well, you know, that's going to skew things in the, the Democratic direction. It's amazing because uh, I, when I saw that headline, I'm going, Hmm, didn't they do this with Trump in 2016? <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. One of, the things, Absolutely. Now, one, of, one of the things that they they seem to have forgotten from uh, the 2016 presidential election is that a lot of people who were polled said they was going to vote for a certain person and that they did that because they, they you know, didn't want to reveal that they were really going to vote for Trump. And I think they've fallen into the same trap this time. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. I mean, you know, in terms of, I mean, you know, regardless of how people see themselves and, and even how they ought to be seen in a rational world, you know, if, if they're just bombarded by so much garbage from the media about, you know, well, if you're a conservative or you're a Republican, you're a bigot, you're a sexist, you're a homophobe, you're this, you're that, whatever – and then somebody calls them on the phone and asks them who they're going to vote for, you know, well, maybe they don't answer honestly. or Maybe, maybe they fudge or, may, or may, you know, whatever. They don't want to respond. But when they walk into a voting booth, it's a totally different matter. Uh, and, you know, there is, you know, as uh, I think Richard Nixon called it, you know, 40-plus years ago, a great silent majority. Uh, and I think you still have a lot of that. I think actually a lot of that, what used to be called the silent majority, and what later might have been referred to as Reagan Democrats were a lot of folks who came out, and especially in Rust Belt states, and supported President Trump, and was the reason why he was elected. And you know, pollsters did not see that coming. You know, I was watching uh, Trump's rally last night, and then they were showing scenes from Obama's rally, and the difference, the the energy and excitement with the Trump rally and the crowd, the size mm. of the crowd. He he oh, yeah. went down to oh, the yeah. point of having the fine art of a tailgate party with big screen yeah. TVs out there so they can still participate. You don't see that at an Obama <laughs> rally. 
I think Obama's got a little bit of uh, uh, what you might call rally envy going on. Uh, you know, I mean, he's, you know, if anything, I think we learned that he's a little bit of a political uh, um, uh, narcissist. Uh, he likes, you know, Obama has every, everything was about himself, never about his party. Uh, he's the reason why his party lost 800 and some odd state house and senate seats around the country. Uh, and you know, and he's out there running around now taking credit for the economy. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, so you know, yeah, he's got some envy going on, but you know, right now, uh, you know, Trump's got the energy, and uh, you know, people are camping out overnight in order to come to a rally and hear the president. I think it was about 100,000 people bought tickets to get into an arena that held less than 20. Uh, you know, and that was just in one state. And they're doing these in, you know, state after state after state. I think he's probably got four or five a week going on or something like that. Um, so, you know, it's, nope. and it's similar to what we saw back in 2016. Well, you know, I, you and I, I consider friends. Um, and I see our party here in South Carolina since you took over highly energized. And one of the things that I I admire about you, you think of new innovative ways in which to get people uh, educated about their vote and what is out there. And what you have done on the website, you have now scvotes.sc.gov, where it's a voter guide for any state, no matter what state you're in. You can key in your state, and, and it gives you over to a guide so they know what's on the ballot. Yeah, the, the uh, when I, and some of that was some other stuff. And I've, I've worked with you know other organizations over the past, and one of the, that was one of the things I actually did on my own personal website. You know, in, in this cycle, DrewMcKissick.com, and I've got you know voter guides uh, section on there. Well, I pulled a list to every major uh, you know conservative nonprofit organization in the country that does voter guides or congressional scorecards or legislative scorecards. You know, depending on the state and try to offer uh, uh, connections and links to uh, the voter information they have in those states. And I email that out to my list nationwide. I've got about you know 30,000 or so uh, conservative activists on a national list that I've been working for, for many years now and trying to connect folks to that, encouraging them to go on and you know take that information, but also to take it and post links to it even on Facebook and social media and so forth and just spread the word. I mean, the you know, bottom line is uh, if more people – uh, more conservatives, more folks, quite frankly, whether they think of themselves as a conservative per se or not, uh, but they're sitting in church somewhere on a Sunday, uh, you know, if they go and vote their values, we'll be fine. Uh, you'll change the country. If you had everybody sitting in the church on Sunday vote their actual values on Election Day, they'd change the country. Uh, the problem is, in many cases, the lack of education in terms of connecting their values and what they believe with the actual candidates that are on the ballot. And therefore, you end up a lot of folks who, you know, through ignorance or lack of education and so forth, will vote for and have supported Democratic candidates. And, you know, many times couldn't tell you or wouldn't believe if you told them that, uh, you know, these are candidates or this is a political party that supports, you know, abortion on demand for any reason whatsoever to the moment of birth paid for with your tax dollars. You know, well, the vast, overwhelming majority of people in this country oppose that, but they're not connecting that with Democrats, with those candidates, and so forth. And, you know, voter education information, voter guides, and so forth, one way to try to cut through that. Well, you know, the, one of the benefits of the social network, the computer, the online, instant, whatever, your smartphone, is that information that gets out there fast. And we had Brandon Strucker on the show. He started the Walk Away movement. And uh-huh. I, I'm surprised how many people have just taken to that movement when they actually did, as you said, 
compare their mm-hmm. values to what they see coming out of the Democratic yep. Party. And yep. I am surprised when I start talking to people. It's like, yeah, I'm part of the walk away. Yep. That's, uh, and, you know, just, and again, it's like you said, it's comparative. Uh, so, for example, uh, we have on the state Republican Party's website, uh, the, uh, uh, we've set up a, a page for links to the conservative organizations here in South Carolina that do have voter guides and other voter educational information. And we are, have already sent out one e-blast to that, to our entire list around the state. And we'll do that probably once or twice a week here for the next couple of weeks. Uh, but one of the things that we have on there, uh, actually two different versions of this, I take that back, of a platform comparison. So they're like one page, easy to download, print off on your desktop printer, and make copies of and distribute to other friends or other folks in churches or at work or whatever and or share a copy of it on social media, you know, in PDF form, that is just a straight-up verbatim uh, language uh, of differences between the two parties' platforms on, say, you know, five, eight, or nine issues, uh, whether it's, you know, abortion or whether it's education or whether it's taxes or whatever. No, you know, interpreter filter or anything like that, just the direct quotes out of the platform from the Republican Party on uh, the life issue and direct quote out of the Democratic Party platform on that issue and just let those platforms speak for themselves. That's powerful information and that's, you know, like you said, a lot of folks who have just not done comparative uh, looking at the two parties in the past are doing it now and they are, as you said, walking away. Yeah, th- <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, and into our <laughs> waiting arms. You know, I over here we have a, a dysfunctional school board so out of the seven seats, we've got 13 candidates. Um, I was at my, mm-hmm. I was able to bring to my tea party over two meetings, mm-hmm. 11 of those 13. And that's like herding cats when you have five or six of them standing there <laughs> uh, taking questions. Uh, yep. But I found that when I was doing this, uh, more and more people were showing up, people that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. So people are yep. being energized because they're seeing the way the country is going. And you know, it mm-hmm. started with the Tea Party movement, and yep. they thought they defeated us, but it's continuing forward. And one of the other things mm-hmm. I did was I said, put up or shut up. You want the Republican Party to return to its conservative roots. You must get involved within the Republican Party. So I made sure I became legislative chair for our county Mm -hmm. party, became a delegate to the state Mm -hmm. convention. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm getting people to become involved. We can't keep the conservative values if we don't help control the organization. Well, well, look, I mean, this is, uh, and I've said this in a lot of, speeches that I give and actually I just drove back from Charleston I was with the Republican women's group down there this morning and, and for lunch uh, you know we've got a wonderful country with a wonderful thing called self-government but the most important part of that phrase is self you can't outsource self-government to somebody else by definition and if you do you're never going to like the result period because nobody's going to care about the things that you do as much as you do uh, so you're giving up your seat and your voice to somebody else when you don't get involved but you know it's it's one thing for us to have a great platform, which we do. I think we've got the best platform we've had since I got involved 31 years ago. It's got better in every cycle. And I would say if you look at a a chart, which would chart how conservative our platform has gotten versus how many electoral victories we've had in the state, the more conservative our platform has gotten, the better off we've done at the ballot box from, from 30 years ago to now, period. But, you know, it's one thing for us to 
have things that we say that we believe in. You know, we've got policies, we've got principles, we've got things on the platform. But if you don't do something about the things that you say you believe in, then you know, it all doesn't, none, none of it matters. Being involved in the party doesn't matter. Being involved in your government, your community, whatever, doesn't matter. I mean, you know, we have founding fathers of this country believed in something, and then they did something about it. You know, if we believe in something, how strongly we say we believe in our core conservative values, and we need to work at least as hard as we say we believe in those things. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, something that has always been a passion of mine is just trying to help other folks who are, you know, uh, who think and believe the same way that I do find a way that they can have a difference and make an impact on those things that they care about. Uh, you know, because, I mean, look, I mean, people are not full-time political activists. And I get that. I'm not asking people to become a full-time political activist. You've got jobs and lives and things to do. Uh, you know, all I'm asking is for people to do just a little bit more than what they're doing right now, period. Uh, so hmm. for the next two weeks, uh, you know, that would mean if you could go to, you know, uh, SEGOP.com right there on the home page, there's a volunteer link. Uh, we're looking for volunteers. You can sign up to, you know, make an hour's worth of phone calls to turn out other voters or volunteer to go knock doors. You know, the, the victory campaign for the party working in conjunction with Katie Arrington's campaign down there, for instance, is organizing door walks and so forth. You got a couple hours in the afternoon to be a part of that. Do that. If all you can do is put up a yard sign, check the box on there. I'll put up a yard sign, whatever you need. Everybody can do just a little bit more than they're doing right now for the next two weeks because, you know, We've seen all the craziness, and we talk about that all the time. All of us, you know, you guys are just like I am. I'm sure you're news junkies, and you, we, we get down in the weeds on all this stuff, and we see it all, and we consume it all the time, and, you know, some, then we get kind of, you know, antsy because we think everybody's not as stirred up as we are because of all the stuff that we're seeing, you know, and we forget those people have lives, and, you know, but uh, the thing that we need to remember is that, you know, you don't acquire, or rather you can't govern if you don't win. You don't acquire political power. If you don't win, you can't govern. And, you know, these people out there with all the craziness that we see going on, you need to go to bed at night, every night for the next two weeks, with one thought in our head, and that is the only thing separating those crazy people from real political power is you, period, and what you're willing to do for the next couple of weeks. And it's as simple True. as that. Well, I mean, you know, go yeah, ahead. This, I was going to say, there's, there's also, if they go to their local GOP, uh, they can volunteer through there, but a lot of them have it where you don't even sure. have to leave your home. You can make the phone Absolutely. calls. They give you, mm-hmm. they set you up where you can make the calls online. Yes. So they don't yes. even have to get out of their easy chair. I mean, the you know, the, the, the mechanics of all this stuff over the years have changed drastically and gotten easier and easier for a volunteer to have an outsized impact, quite frankly. Yeah. And so, you know, to your point, uh, instead of coming into, you know, a big room, an organized phone bank with a bunch of people and rotary phones and a bunch of paper lists, you know, like we used to have, uh, you can go online and just and say you're willing to be a volunteer. Someone will get back with you with an app you can download on your phone. They've already got the list that they want you to call pre-plugged in there. You don't even have to have it know what they are. You log in, and it will play music in your ears up until it connects with a live person for you to go through a couple of questions script on and plug in their information and then move on to the next person. I mean, in an hour's time, you can make, you know, 100 phone calls. It will just connect you and connect you and connect you until, you know, you're tired of doing it. 
Uh, and like you said, you can do it from anywhere. I mean, we've got people uh, in uh, Spartanburg and Pickens County and other places around the state who, through those means, are making calls down into the 1st Congressional District for Katie Arrington's race. So, yes, you are correct. You can do that, and it's easy to do. Uh, the, the main thing that has to happen before you do that is you got to let us know you want to volunteer. <laughs> True. <laughs> what strategies do do you have in place to attract more minorities over to the mm-hmm. um, conservative and, and Republican mm-hmm. brand? Because I really mm-hmm. I'm of the belief that the more people that we remove from the Democrat Party, especially mm-hmm. minorities, we weaken them. And um, I really think, I think, really that all this um, illegal immigration um, stuff yeah. is about replacing blacks who are leaving the Democrat Party. Yes. Because their numbers yes. are growing, you know, they're shrinking. Mm-hmm. So what yeah. do y'all have in, you know, in place as far as strategies so, to attract Well, well a couple, couple things. Uh, you know, so uh, for, for one thing, uh, you know, you work, off, you work off your strong suits. So one thing we know that uh, folks in the black community are definitely seeing uh, is that the economy is getting better, and you've got the lowest unemployment, black unemployment rate in history now. Uh, and there's, there's a reason for that. You know, we've had an election. We got a new president. Takes business seriously. Cut the tax code, uh, cut taxes, and uh, reduce some burdens on businesses. Businesses are able to hire more people. That means more people, whether you know, uh, uh, white, black, brown, or whatever, have more jobs, and the families are more successful. And we've seen that reflected in even recent public opinion polls about the president. You know, these numbers we see all the time for the president's public approval. Well, that's just a national number, but the number uh, within the black community uh, that rated the president favorably in the most recent poll I saw was up to 35 percent. Well, this time last year it was 23 percent. With Democrats, national Democrats look at a number like that like Dracula looking at a cross. You know, I mean, that's, that's the last thing they want to see. Uh, so, so to begin with, helping communicate that message, and we do that uh, with online digital strategies, pushing articles about the economy and so forth to targeted folks, um, you know, we will do that. We will do um, uh, other things with the RNC to help push that message in a targeted way. So that's the main thing right now is, you know, you go with what's hot in terms of the economy, especially when you're coming right up on an election. But then also, as we just discussed a minute ago, uh, the immigration issue, this caravan thing is going to run all the way up through to Election Day. I have all confidence that uh, our uh, – what I refer to as uh, our Twitterer in chief up in uh, the White House <laughs> is going to keep all eyes focused on that caravan for the next two weeks for that very reason. Uh, and as you point out, uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, you know, it's it's the minority community in this country, the legal minority in this community in this country, whether they are black or whether they are Hispanic, that has the most to lose from illegal immigration. Uh, and you know, I, whenever. You make those issues clear uh, to uh, folks within the black community. Uh, you know, I see an outsized number of them beginning to we- be willing to listen to uh, Republican candidates. I also see uh, the attempt at voter intimidation. Are you seeing that also anywhere? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, I haven't seen big examples of it here yet for this cycle. Uh, but, you know, we do see that in different places. will pop up all around the country. 
Uh, and, you know, it's, it's sort of par for the course with Democrats. And, I mean, and, you know, it's uh, – uh, we, we did see the issue down in Katie's race with the um, – uh, I forget what you would call it, I guess, the, the digital version of a poster that they had out there of Katie Arrington as Scarlett O'Hara in front of the plantation along with uh, Donald Trump and then several uh, black individuals that had endorsed her as you know basically looking like i think slaves on the plantation um you know and the intimidation factor there to me is this is what this is democrats basically saying this is what we're going to do to you if you're an african-american and you decide to you know get off of the liberal plantation and support republicans and think for yourself you know we're going to embarrass you we're going to humiliate you this is how we're going to treat you and you know so in that sense it is intimidation uh, and uh, you know it's um, it's par for the course. Well, there's there's this group out there, uh, gun control groups, that are launching a voter protection campaign to keep guns mm-hmm. out of the polling booths this election day, and they're telling people mm-hmm. who see people with firearms to text guns down to nine one nine nine zero, and reports would be sent to a quote nonpartisan election protection experts. In other words, the cops. <laughs> So can you imagine what's going to happen in these in these polling places? Even if you're not yeah. carrying a firearm, if someone decides to send yeah. one of these texts, next thing the polling location yeah. is going to be closed down, on lockdown, while they look for a shooter. Well, you know, just uh, as far as here in South Carolina, uh, yeah, trust me when I say we have got a cadre, a large cadre of lawyers that are on speed dial. Uh, we will have several conference calls with them leading up to election day. They will be organized. Uh, and you know they will have will have at least one assigned for every uh, region or count, a county rather even of the state. Uh, and if we think we're even beginning to have a problem, they will they are ready to take uh, take the phone call and get on the case and get down to the local county courthouse or whatever we have to do to straighten out any situation and make sure that every Republican vote can be cast and can be recorded and that we don't have a problem. Um, you know, the only way you deal with people like that is you just be ready to deal with them. Uh, whenever, you know, whenever they start the shenanigans, you, you got to be there and ready to uh, call them on it. Uh, you can't just sit back and take it. No, because uh, they even went so far, uh, Curtis, with your friend, George Farrell of Black Pack. They created a phony uh, duplicate website, making people think that mm-hmm. it's George Farrell's conservative Black Pack mm-hmm. organization, so yeah. you know, they um, mm-hmm. they're doing anything and everything. Yeah, and they will. Look, I mean, it's and, and I get it, and we got to be ready for the stuff that they do, and, and we are. Uh, yeah, but the the one thing that we, the trap that we can't ever fall into is to spend too much time worrying about what they are doing. And not enough time about what we're doing or what we're not doing. And that's the thing I would say to all of your listeners out there, especially those in the in the Low Country or there in Beaufort County. Uh, what we do, what you do for the next two weeks, is the difference in this campaign. Um, you know, other folks on the other side, they're going to do the kind of stuff they're going to do. We're going to deal with it when they do. The main thing we need everybody out there to worry about is volunteering contacting other Republicans, contact, talk to the folks who are sitting next to you in church, the folks you're standing to at work, other fellow conservatives, and make sure that they go vote their values on election day, period. If they do that, 
then we'll have the same thing happen on election day we have had happen here as conservatives for the last 30 years in the state. When I first got involved, we only had one statewide elected official, and that was Carol Campbell. Uh, now we've got all the statewide constitutional officers. We only had two out of six members of Congress back then. Now we've got six out of seven. We've got had one senator then. We've got both of them now. We used to be a minority in the state house and the state senate. Now we've got a majority, an increasing number of county councils and sheriff's races and everything all around the state. And that all happened because of two reasons. One, our conservative principles that we communicated. And two, because of the hard work that everybody down there at the grassroots does. And that's where the rubber hits the road for the next two weeks. Yeah, now if we can only get rid of Clyburn. <laughs> We're trying. We've been trying. One, one battle at a time. One battle at a time. Yeah, and poor Gerhard Gressman uh, ended up having surgery, so you don't see him on the campaign trail. You know, even when we had a chance, we haven't been able to get rid of him yet. I'm going to have to pry him out somehow or other. Um, but on, the, on our ballot here, we've got a constitutional amendment uh, going up um, on Section 7, Article Six of our state constitution relating to the superintendent of education at this Correct. point in time he's an he's an elected official and we want Correct. to see if he we could move him into being an appointment what's the benefit of one mm-hmm. over the other so people can understand what this this is well you know a couple of things one you know if it's a appointed position that means being appointed by the governor and you know the problem is just to back up a little bit, and this goes all the way back to the late 1800s when our current constitution in this state was written. I mean, basically what happened was the legislature divided executive power to the four winds, you know, which makes the legislature, um, you know, excessively or, or outsize, outsizedly, you know, powerful versus the other branches of state government. Uh, and so, you know, instead of having a governor that then filled all the cabinet agencies, you know, and so forth, you've got, you know, elected for education here, elected for state here, elected for agriculture here, elected, used to elect the head of the, adjunct, the, the National Guard, for goodness sake, up until, you know, about six years ago. Um, so one is in terms of executive accountability. I mean, when most people, you know, they gripe in many cases, rightfully so, about the schools, you know, and they're wondering, well, what's the governor doing about that? You know, most folks don't think, you know, off the top of their head, well, we got a superintendent of education, and that person shares power with the state school board, and that shares power with this, that, and the other thing. So if we had a, you know, a streamlined executive or cabinet-style government, executive, the governor would have more authority and therefore, you know, more accountability for what does and doesn't happen. So one, you would know that the uh, superintendent of education uh, and state education policy was linked up with who the governor was. Now, right now, we do have a Republican superintendent of education, Molly Spearman. She works well with the governor's office, and she's supporting uh, this change. She's in favor of making it appointed. So is uh, Governor McMaster. Uh, and you know, But again, it would ensure that going forward that you know education policy would be lined up with whoever is in the governor's mansion. Uh, and, you know, so, I mean, the party for, for decades, as long as I can remember, have always endorsed moving to a more cabinet-style government uh, government here in South Carolina. Um, but that's the kind of thing that, you know, only happens slowly and piecemeal when you can get the legislature to take a little bite of the apple and then put it on the ballot and then we have to pass it and so forth. And, again, that's how we did it with the uh, adjutant general's job years ago and how we did it with the lieutenant governor being, you know, a partner with the governor, running mate with the governor now in this cycle because two or four years ago, whenever it was, we passed that other statewide constitutional amendment to let the governor pick the lieutenant governor running mate. Um, so, you know, that's, 
Let's put it this way. The other downside for the elected, the way we do it now, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but late last week, I think it was last Wednesday, the Democrat who was running for state superintendent education withdrew from the race because, come to find out, he's a felon. And the guy had a felony background, and he got out in the newspaper, and he withdrew. So he's not running anymore. So, you know, that tells you something about the qualifications. I mean, any, you know, anybody could run. I can run for superintendent education. I'm certainly not qualified. Um, so the so point is, uh, <laughs> one of the other benefits that you get is, you know, the governor uh, appointing someone who would meet some, you know, some minimum qualifications, which would be put into the law by the legislature, you know, and so forth. So. Uh, you know, you got a little bit more uh, certainty that, number one, this person is going to be working with the governor and their policies, but, two, that they've, you know, more certain that they've got the minimum qualifications that you need versus just being a good campaigner with a good financial network. Well, speaking about criminals uh, voting, I saw in this weekend's paper that there is a push now that if you've had um, a minor infraction, say for dealing drugs or something like that, not a felony, even though I think this will open the door for that, they're looking to see if they can pardon these individuals with a criminal past mm-hmm. history to allow them to vote. Do you know anything about that? Oh, well, no, I know. Look, nationwide, I know Democrats have always been pushing that. They're trying to do that and trying to get, you know, they want to get felons back on the, on the voter rolls. But period. They want to go let them let them vote in jails for goodness sake. Uh, you know, currently right now that's that's not legal here in South Carolina, and there's no chance that we're going to make that legal here in South Carolina. Uh, there are other states, some of which are controlled by Democrats, where they've you know tried to do that, tried to monkey with the law. Virginia's one where the Democratic governor tried to you know wave an administrative wand and make that happen in Virginia, and the legislature there I think took him to court and they had it overturned, but it would have put about a hundred thousand criminals essentially uh, on the voter rolls or giving them the right to get on the voter rolls. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just part and parcel for what they do and what they're about. And so, there's a, you know, they're not about pushing a agenda that people, that a majority of voters actually believe in and want to vote for. They're about, you know, being a collection of grievance groups that's looking for any way they possibly can cobble together enough folks to win on Election Day, legal or not. They'll go do anything. But now the other thing I'm seeing is the actual attacks on conservative individuals. And I'm not a big fan of Mitch McConnell all the time. Sometimes I, I agree with him, but not always. Right. But his, he and his poor wife were out having dinner. And yep. someone accosted them in the restaurant. And fortunately, the patrons and the employees of that restaurant stood up for McConnell, telling him to leave him alone, oh, and finally yeah. escorted him out of the restaurant. But we're seeing the oh, attacks yeah. more and more. Uh, Kevin McCarthy just had his offices vandalized. I believe it was the Wyoming GOP that had theirs firebombed. Um, yep. This is scary. Well, you know, yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, it's, uh, again, Democrats are. You know, or, or I've, I've heard someone once say that you know, liberalism is a two-year-old child that's not getting what he wants. Um, you know, and that's the way these people are. They don't get what they want, and so they they go rabbit or they go feral, so to speak. Um, and you know, and it's, it's you know, with uh, increasing you know vitriolity, um, I, I think you know one of the reasons why our politics in this country has gotten more uh, vitriolic for the last, let's say, 20 years 
and at an increasing pace, in my opinion, uh, is because the things that we are arguing about politically now are more fundamental than they used to be. You know, we're not arguing between the margins anymore, you know, where there's legitimate room to have an argument. Uh, you know, now we're arguing over things that are foundational to the country or foundational to culture and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, like the definition of a man and a woman. You know, that's the latest thing. You know, the Trump administration is, <laughs> is put, working on putting out administrative guidance to the rest of the government that, you know, what defines a man and a woman. You know, what kind of world are we having to live in now where the government has to come in and tell us, you know, yeah, that that's a man and that's a woman. You know, the kind of stuff that we figure out whenever a new baby's born and we hold it up and we look, you know. That's, I mean, you know, now we have to have, you know, administrative guidance on this. You know, that's the kind of, that's how far things have come. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so when, when we begin to have, you know, just vitriolic, you know, conversation, you know, fight, political fights, because one side doesn't want to recognize something that fundamental, you really can't have much of a rational conversation anymore. Uh, you know, so in many cases, we're kind of getting beyond that on a lot of these issues. Now, fortunately, there's still some stuff we can have yeah. legitimate argument about. But things like that, those things aren't up for debate. So how do you have a you know rational conversation over things that, that you know aren't up for debate, things that we've known for thousands of years, which all of a sudden they think they've come up with a better answer for? Uh, so, I mean, you know, <laughs> and much less, you know, now and, and with all the socialism that these folks want to talk about, I mean, you know, we've had what Bernie Sanders come down here, and uh, Kamala Harris, and uh, how many other ones in the liberal clown car have come down here campaigning for Jim uh, James Smith and Democrats here in the last you know two weeks. Yeah. And you know, the, an open ad. I mean, Bernie Sanders, the, the runner-up for the Democratic Party's presidential nomination, you know, open and avowed socialist. And you know, they come down here with a straight face, and they're selling these ideas which are just antithetical to the, you know the founding of our country. And, yep. you know, what I, what I love is when they do that, you never see them hold up places like Cuba or Venezuela as examples of their wonderful ideas. No. You know, you ever notice that? They, they never <laughs> mention that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this was years ago, Ronald Reagan had said that, uh, you know, uh, that, that socialism only works in two places, heaven where they don't need it and hell where they've already got it. You know, well, yeah. I'm not in favor, and I don't think people in this state are in favor of this place becoming another socialist hellhole. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> True. <laughs> yes, sir. I I believe if the um, Democrats lose big during the uh, midterms, and I really, mm-hmm. really tend to think that they will, I think they're going to be left with no choice but to try to, to go all out to push this national popular vote initiative mm-hmm. in which they mm-hmm. subvert our electoral college. What are your thoughts on yep. that? I, I don't have any doubt that more of them will try. I agree with you on that. Uh, and it goes even further than that. I've seen within the last uh, couple of weeks, um, well, actually, you know, since the Kavanaugh hearing, uh, you know, leading liberal thinkers within, you know, the Democratic orbit, uh, several articles you could go out and you could probably Google it after, you know, we get off the call and you can find some of them. Well, they're talking about, you know, the need to reform the Senate, you know, because, it's terrible where we've got these Republican senators from these small group of states that don't represent a majority of America have been able to confirm Kavanaugh, you know, so we need to reform the Senate and make it like the House. Uh, and, you know, you talk about the Electoral College. They, they didn't win an election, so we got to get rid of the Electoral College. And, you know, they didn't get a judicial nominator appointment that, or won't happen that they don't like, so we got to change the Senate. 
you know, it's never about them winning or losing on the basis of the power of their ideas. It's when they lose, the system's broken. <laughs> so it's, it's never they lost because the people <laughs> won't agree with them. They lost because the system doesn't work. Uh, so, yeah, I have all ideas that you'll see more of them try to do that. Um, but uh, the the problem with um, uh, the idea to, say, change the Senate, for one, a uh, little-known piece of trivia, you know, it's not just as simple as doing a constitutional amendment if they were to try to change the U.S. Senate. The Constitution specifically says that no state, no individual state, shall be deprived of equal suffrage in the United States Senate without their consent. So in other words, every state in this country except South Carolina could pass an amendment that says we're going to do the Senate by proportion or proportional representation. As long as South Carolina doesn't agree, it can't happen constitutionally. So we're never going to let that happen. In terms of the Electoral College, uh, yeah, this national popular vote thing is a a way to try to do an end run around the constitutional amendment to get rid of the Electoral College. Uh, But again, you've got to get the support of enough states to actually do that. Uh, and, you know, regarding the, the, and there's been some stuff they put out there saying, well, they've got, you know, this big number of states so far on board that have agreed. Uh, well, in some of those cases, you've had some Republican legislatures after they got elected to pull their consent back from that because, again, it's just legislation. They can change it on a dime. Uh, and also many of the states that have passed that have only passed it on the condition that other states pass it. In other words, they understand we're not going to deprive ourselves of our individual unique voice unless other states are willing to do it too, uh, which is, you know, whenever it's explained that way to voters, you know, they tend to rebel against it a little bit and let their legislators know. I'll tell you well, what else I, I think they're going to try to do too, and that's to um, add more seats to the Supreme courts if they win, you know, the right. presidency uh, in 2020 and if yeah. they win one of the houses or the Senate. Yeah, Again, I got to tell you, Drew, yeah, as, as soon as that national pop, as soon as that national popular vote legislation hit the uh, judiciary committee, I got a hold of Chip uh, Campson, Tom Davis, Shannon Erickson, yeah. and I got a resounding, yeah. "Oh hell no, it's not coming out of committee." Right. So exactly. we know exactly. South Carolina exactly. is safe. Exactly. But, uh, they, they, he was they talking exactly about what we just talked about. Right, and the Supreme Court uh, is by a bunch of liberal Harvard law professors, Mm -hmm. and it's called 1.20.21 Project. And they're hoping to have this project to add four more Supreme Court justices by 2021. And I'm trying to see if I can see uh, Harvard professors Mark Tushnet and Lawrence Tribe are the ones leading the uh, effort. And political scientists, a political scientist, that's an oxymoron, Uh, Aaron Belkin is behind this. Yeah. Yeah, well, look, uh, again, it's another case of they didn't get what they want, so they want to change or, or the system, or the system's broken. That's why they didn't get what they want. That's why they need some more members on the Supreme Court so the next president can come in and pack the Supreme Court or whatever. You know, uh, the reason why this stuff is so live or die for them is because of over the last, you know, generation or two, the judiciary has taken an outside – the federal judiciary specifically has taken an outsized role in our federal government and in our national life that the founders never intended it to have. And that is where liberals have won most of their political victories has been through the judiciary and by extension through the administrative state, the bureaucracy. Uh, and so anything that threatens that, you know, they get their back up about and, you know, it's live or die and, you know, it's going to start raining cats and dogs if you don't give them what they want. 
because they know that's where they've been winning. They haven't been winning, you know, these radical ideas at the ballot box, you know, whether it's whether it's abortion or gay marriage or you go down the list, it's been through the judiciary. Uh, so anything that threatens their power in the judiciary, they understand very clearly. Um, you know, go all the way back to Robert Bork, all the way to Judge Kavanaugh. Whenever we're nominating a justice, it's the end of the world. Whenever they're nominating one, half of our guys are going to vote for who they nominated because that's the way it used to be up until about 30 years ago. You know, you win an election, you get the justices you want. Uh, not anymore. And, you know, again, um, I think we can pretty much say those days are behind us now uh, going forward. And, you know, we just have to recognize that on our side that the rules have changed now and elections have consequences and we got to make sure we win and we can nominate those judges. But, um, uh, you know, I think the Kavanaugh, is a twofer, though, in that sense, because if you look back in his judicial record, he has also been a big uh, advocate on the bench of reining in the administrative or bureaucratic state in terms of, uh, you know, whenever Congress passes, say, a big sweeping piece of legislation. And within the bill, there's language like, you know, uh, as the secretary shall determine, or you know, the, this uh, particular agency shall be able to administer regulations under this piece of legislation. So basically, it's a way for Congress to outsource its lawmaking authority to the bureaucracy. And he has been a direct, as a judge uh, on the D.C. Circuit, uh, a direct threat to that uh, for the last I think ten years or so since he's been in, in that position, you know, ruling against. Uh, you know, that type of uh, Congress's ability to essentially outsource its lawmaking authority to the bureaucracy. Uh, that's another direct threat to the liberal establishment, and that's another reason why they opposed him, you know, so, you know, shamelessly. Yeah, what they did to him was absolutely horrific. <clears throat> but what else do you expect from them? Uh, one of the things that I love about <laughs> you, Drew, is that <laughs> – you you have been so dynamic, and we're seeing people getting out to do absentee voting and early voting, mm-hmm. and we're seeing a turnout like we have never seen before in years. And usually an off-cycle election is gets very low turn, voter turnout. Here in Beaufort, because yep. I sent uh, Hope a link to the article, here in Beaufort County, we actually doubled the number of mm-hmm. registered voters in the last year. New voters. Uh-huh. Not just, reg- yep. just new voters. Um, right. But this is something that you have on your website uh, that helps people to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And you have even gone so far as tonight, you've got a victory uh, rally. Yes, we do. We've You're got already claiming victory. We call our, 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 well, our victory rally and fundraiser, which we are uh, bringing all the candidates in for one last big rally, all the state candidates and the local candidates. And in the course of that, also raising money for what we call the SEGOP state victory program is what we call it. Uh, which is essentially the ground game for all the campaigns around the state. We you know, raise money collectively that benefits essentially all the candidates because we're working to turn out Republican votes that benefit the entire ticket. Um, so we'll be doing that this evening in Columbia. Uh, and just uh, on the point you made a minute ago, though, so it's not lost, talking about absentee. So in South Carolina, there are 15 reasons uh, that you can use legally to vote absentee. Number one, the first and foremost, is you're over 65 years of age. You don't need any other excuse. You can vote absentee. The second one is if you have a job, you're going to be working that day, you can go vote absentee. So in those two excuses right there, we probably covered more than half the state. Uh, So odds are you can vote absentee. We put together a website. It's voteabsenteesc.com, voteabsenteesc.com. 
You go there, you fill out the form online, and it will then push you to the uh, State Election Commission site to also send you a absentee uh, um, you know, uh, ballot. Uh, so you'll be able to cast that uh, you know, between here and the next two weeks. If you don't want to stand in line or you're going to be out of town or whatever it is, or you want to go ahead and just get your vote in the bank so you can be working the polls on Election Day, whatever it may be, you can go to VoteAbsenteeSC.com and sign up for your voter absentee uh, ballot today. True. Well, tomorrow, in Florida. Uh, my voting place is oh, – hang on a second. Just to let Drew know, I, I know exactly where my voting place is for absentee voting. It's on John Galt Drive. <laughs> so you can never oh, forget there you that go. One. <laughs> go. In Florida, go ahead, Curtis. they are putting um, voting machines on campuses. Um, do you think that's a good idea? I mean, are they doing that well, in South I mean, Carolina too? Well, I mean, you know, obviously we want to make it legal for people who are legally here and legal, you know, residents to vote. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, up until a couple of years ago, I was a resident of Richland County. I live in Lexington County now. In Richland County, in 2012, uh, you know, we had the election machine debacle. Uh, where there weren't enough working voting machines at some selected precincts around the county. Uh, and I personally stood in line with my dad for five and a half hours trying to vote. Um, that was on purpose because uh, we had a, a local option sales tax on the ballot. Again, we'd failed two years prior, and uh, folks on the inside wanted to run it again. And the precincts that really opposed the penny sales tax the last time uh, had an inordinate amount of non-working machines. Uh, but, you know, I, if you've got a lot of folks, you know, who are registered to vote in that college campus area and it makes it easier for people to vote, look, I always just err on the side of more people voting. More people actually vote and cast informed ballots, the better off they're going to be. Uh, so if those folks are on that campus or legal residents of South Carolina that change their residence to, to here in the appropriate, you know, at least 30, 30 days out, uh, I believe is the law, then, you know, I, I say fine. I mean, there are other things that we can um, spend time trying to, you know, trying to take care of in order to do better at the ballot box. But um, uh, if it's easier for folks to get there and cast a ballot, better off, I say, we'll be in the long run. Now, where do we stand in South Carolina on party registration? I know we had the initiative so, to put party registration on, yeah. on our ID card. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Uh, last year, uh, state party proposed a resolution uh, to have partisan re- a partisan registration option, not making it mandatory, but making it optional to voters when they were registered to vote, they will be able to choose a party. Uh, we got uh, some sympathetic state legislators, took our resolution, and essentially introduced it as uh, legislation. And I got, I think the final count was E5, uh, House members co-sponsored that legislation. Uh, that is by far a record. We have never gotten that far down the road uh, to success on this issue in the past. Uh, of course, you know, just getting co-sponsors isn't winning today, but it's a lot further than we were. We, we added a lot of friends to that effort by the way we structured the bill. Uh, but the other thing is uh, we then put the issue on our primary ballot. Uh, You know, the state parties still have the option and the authority to put advisory referendums and questions, poll questions, on our primary ballot. So, you know, when you went and voted in the primary in June, 
that question was on our ballot. Uh, and I did that because now we're taking the results of that ballot question in that primary and chopping it up statewide by House district and by Senate district. So when we come back to the legislature in January and we reintroduce that bill, I'll be able to go to every House member and say, this is the percentage of Republican primary voters in your district that support having the option to register by party. So it gives us another lobbying tool. Uh, and so we'll be, I have all ideas we'll be able to pass it in the House this year. Again, we had 55 co-sponsors last, last time. That's uh, about two-thirds of the Republican caucus actually co-sponsored the bill itself, which is fantastic. Uh, the incoming chairman uh, of the Judiciary Committee is going to be Representative Peter McCoy. Uh, he was one of the individuals who told me he would support it. Uh, so that tells me we should be able to get a vote in the House Judiciary Committee and then get it out to the full House and hopefully pass it out. And then we get over to the Senate. Of course, the Senate's a whole different ball of wax. Uh, but, uh, you know, we got to win one battle before we get to the second battle. Yes, second battle was close the primary. <laughs> that would be a huge amen <laughs> well, well, on that one. First thing we got to do is get partisan <laughs> registration first. Then we can talk about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you are a, a tireless worker, and I can't believe how much energy you have. You make me tired <laughs> with all the energy you got. <laughs> but have, I wish you a lot of luck on that uh, victory rally tonight. I wish I could be there, but that's, that's impossible. Yeah. I got yeah. workers coming well, here right. early in the morning to do construction, so there's no way. Because if I go up to Columbia, <laughs> we have to stay overnight. It's just too long a drive for my husband and I. I understand. Stay overnight. Just, that's the way I feel when I have to go speak in Hilton Head, so I know how you feel. <laughs> So you know the distance. <laughs> Absolutely. And us old farts, when we get up to that age, we're just sitting in the car too long. It's not fun. <laughs> That's right. Um, and so I want to thank you, Drew, for joining us. People can find you at scgop.com as well as your name, DrewMcKessick.com. Correct. Yes, ma'am. And like I said, if you want to volunteer, make some calls, go to scgop.com. The front page will take you to the link and volunteer. Get to work for the next two weeks. Let's get the Republican vote out. I appreciate it. Well, uh, maybe the next time I'll see you would be at the new governor, no, actually, re-election of the governor at his inauguration. Maybe Absolutely. you can give me a couple. Look forward to it. <laughs> a couple. <laughs> All right. Thanks, All Drew. Right. God bless you for your hard work. Bye-bye. All right. Drew McKissick. And, uh, man, I, it's always so much fun talking to him. I love this man dearly. He, he has done a good job in reforming our GOP here in the state making it more conservative bent we need more people like that out there uh, working for us Curtis and that's the end of the show yeah. I'm looking at the clock and we're down to our last few minutes for those that were trying to listen in on blog talk radio they have not gotten back to me uh, ever since the show started it's, I sent them a, a message and no response whatsoever so I can't tell you what's going so, but we are up on YouTube, Facebook uh, Spreaker uh, iTunes, uh, just go to our website. Just put a dash in the middle of the name, <laughs> southern-hypothesis.com. You yeah. can get all the other players that listen on over there. Uh, we're going to be back here on Friday, and we've got Frank Miniature coming back on. He has the book out, Spies in Congress. And we also got our climate change expert, Gregory Wrightstone, joining us back here on uh, Friday. And I don't have on my calendar who I got here for next week, next Tuesday, but there will not be a live show on 
November 1st or 6th because I will be home recovering from surgery. And the doctor told me no. I said, come on, I'm just talking on the air. He said, absolutely not. So I'm going to have to listen to him. So it's going to give me two shows off, yeah. and I'll be back here on the 9th with you, Curtis. And you will be and doing poll working. Yeah, the 6th is the general election anyway. That's going to be an exciting day. (laughs) Absolutely. So I'm going to leave you all with our closing song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. And I tell you, in that case, good night and God bless. 